Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm really excited to have the rare opportunity to do a twofer. Joshua was the first, probably Dan or DJ were probably the first, but uh, I'm really glad to be back after last week. Uh, so if you'd allow me to, I'd like to go back into prayer just real briefly. Lord God, we, we love you as our Father who gives us an identity and a name, who has wired us and designed us perfectly for how you have called us to live this life on earth. And we just thank you for that. And when we look at ourselves, this, this created thing, where immediately our gaze turns to the creator and we say, you are so good. And so Lord, we love you, but we wanna love you more. So we just ask Holy Spirit that you would come in, that you would dwell with us in this room and in many rooms like this throughout all of Castle Rock here this morning when your people are gathering under your name, uh, to bring you praise that, that the Bible says is like a pleasing aroma to you. I pray that you would be so pleased with your people, with all of us, with our, with our faults and our screwed up thinking and our wrong motives, that somehow when we gather as your children, that you just look at us and you wrap us up in your arms and you love us. And so Lord, we show up because you show up and we thank you for this, Lord. God, we have a heart as we've been sharing today. Uh, I just love the testimonies that have been shared. And um, we, our, our heart says, our mind says, we want you to have all of us, to do whatever you want to do with us. But Lord, how can we say have all of me if we don't understand what that means? So Lord, I pray that your spirit would move. Like, like I said last night, I can put bone to bone and flesh to flesh, but I can't make the body live. That is your work, Lord. And so I, I pray, Father, that through my meager words, um, that you would be able to move in power in my life, but in all of our lives as well, and that we would be on a journey together where we say, yes, Lord, and we're empowered, empowered to do so. Lord, we, uh, we just pray with so much expectation and thank you again for the opportunity to speak in, in, into each other's lives here this morning. I pray that you would show up. Amen. All right, um, I'm gonna get a whole lot of eye rolls and sighs, but <clears throat> the reality is my bumper sticker says non-native, okay? I am a, I am a native Texan, and uh, so in Texas, uh, in public school, your children actually have an entire year dedicated to Texas history. It's beautiful, I, and I just discovered that other states don't do this. Like, why not? Oh, because it's not that exciting, I'm just kidding. Um, so I'm gonna share a story with you. Uh, we're gonna throw a slide up. This is a map of the state of Texas in 1835. So Texas duked it out with Mexico and they declared their independence from Mexico in 1836, okay? And uh, in the, that kind of goings-ons, the, the southern border of Texas, as many of you might know, it's true today, is the Rio Grande River. But in red on that map is a red line. And that red line is the Nueces River. Many of you probably don't know where the Nueces River is. And Mexico said, hey, that's where your southern border is. And so that swath of land between the Nueces and the Rio Grande became known as the Nueces Strip. And it was a highly contested piece of property because there's these very profitable, very famous cattle ranches there. You may have heard of them. The Kennedy Ranch, the King Ranch, these are all right there in between the Nueces and the Rio Grande. And so what happened after 1836, um, this fledgling infant nation that's 
Uh, they formed the Texas Rangers up in kind of Childress, Texas, uh, the panhandle of Texas. There was this really big issue they were having with the Comanche Indians. So the Texans formed the, uh, the Texas Rangers to kind of help out with that situation. Um, and so what, what happened was um, during this time, these uh, Mexican banditos would come across the Rio Grande River at night and they would raid these ranches and they would grab sometimes tens of heads of cattle, sometimes hundreds of head of cattle. And then they would, um, you know, there may have been a cowboy that got in the way who got shot or there may have been a barn that was burned or, you know, whatever that type of lifestyle kind of leads to. Um, and then they would turn around and it would be an all-out sprint for the border. And so Texas addressed this and said, okay, we're going to take these Texas Rangers from fighting the Comanches up there. Uh, we're going to take this guy that's pictured there named Captain McNelly. He was a former Union soldier. Uh, he, he, he jumped in. He, he established a relationship for himself and the Texas Rangers. And he said, they say to Captain McNelly, go down south, and we want you to recruit and train a militarized band of the Texas Rangers to address uh, this issue with, with the Mexicans on the border that we're having. And so he goes down there and does that, and you can see uh, McNelly's Rangers there, uh, there pictured. And so what he did, uh, after about the fourth time, he would, he would be notified that, hey, we had a raid over here, we're losing some cattle, uh, so they would, they would sprint over there on their horses uh, just in time uh, to see these uh, caballeros going over the river and like waving their cowboy hats, just smiling and saying goodbye as they made it safely across the border. You see, Captain McNally was, was commanded, you chase after these guys, you pursue them, you get our cattle back, but you absolutely do not dare make an armed assault across the border because that's a declaration of war and we can't afford it. In fact, nine years later, from 1836 to 1845, Texas joined the Union uh, as the 28th state of the Union because of just how fragile the Republic was at that time, uh, both financially, militarily, everything. And so they said, do not declare war on Mexico. That'll kill us. That'll kill us all, and we're going to lose everything that we fought for. So after about the fourth time that happened, they come up to the river. Um, these guys, they're just a few hours late. They're already over the horizon. They can see the campfires. They can hear the music. The mezcal is flowing. Um, and Captain McNelly looks to his rangers, and he says, guys, <clears throat> I can't command you into battle, uh, but I will lead you into battle, those of you who want to join me. And so about 30 of them join in, and what follows was like this 48-hour miraculous story about these, this small band of Texas Rangers that goes against this, this huge group of, of uh, uh, Mexican cowboys, and they, uh, they end up negotiating, and they bring all the, all the cattle back. So like hundreds of head of cattle come back. Captain King of the King Ranch says, we've always seen cattle leave. We've never seen them come back. Uh, and it becomes this incredible legend, this great story of, of Texas historical pride. And so at the time, there were these, this northern um, media reporter comes down, he's interviewing Captain McNelly, because he's like, man, we're going to put this all over the papers, all, all over the nation. And he says, what were you thinking? You were commanded not to cross that border. And he said, at the time, I just thought to myself, today, Texas law has to come to Mexican soil. Texas law has to come to Mexican soil. And so my heart, as we talked last week about how God wires you, and what we're going to step into today, my heart is that for some of you, you are going to approach the border of the kingdom of God, so to speak, where you are going to approach a place where the rule and reign of Christ is not evident, where the Holy Spirit is not welcome, 
where uh, in Romans 8 it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You're gonna come to places where the law of sin and death reigns. Hopelessness, despair, anxiety. And there's gonna be something in your heart that's gonna say, "Mm -mm. today the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has gotta come to to a dark place. The kingdom of God needs to advance in some way The boundaries of the rule and reign of Christ need to expand to include this home, this workplace, this neighborhood, this this dark place where God does not, King Jesus does not sit on his throne. And so it brings me with much excitement as I'm hearing the testimony here this morning uh, and everything that's happened in this service up to this point uh, that I just feel, do y'all sense that the Lord is doing this? And it's um, what we hope and what we pray is characteristic of Shine Church is not what happens inside these four walls. Uh, as, as talented and as skilled as the worship band is, um, it, it's, it's not uh, the, the skill that we bring to the table here that makes Shine a special place or, or his church in general, a capital C church, but what makes it a special place, what brings the richness of our weekend experiences is how we say yes to the Lord the other six days of the week outside of the four walls. So that when we come in here, we can share testimony like Janelle was asking us to do, and we can celebrate what the Lord is doing through us, and it's blowing our minds. Maybe there'll be reporters from, uh, from the north that comes up, come in and uh, ask us what we were thinking whenever we expanded the kingdom that way. All right, so uh, in, in review... Um, we're going to talk about briefly what we did last week. And so we talked about identity and wiring, um, but we didn't really get a chance when we we're sitting at the tables to kind of unpack and think about and talk about what you guys came up with. And so uh, if you weren't here last week, you can go back on our YouTube channel and you can watch that. Um, but I just wanted to uh, show myself as an example. I've got a diagram there just by way of illustration of if you were to come to me and say, Justin, what makes you you? How has God wired you? We talked last week about clues and observations as we went through all these characters in the Bible to try to discover what is the identity that God has given them. Okay, and so if I think about myself, I'm going to say I'm a husband, um, been married nearly a long time. Uh, I'm a father of four kids. I'm, a, um, I'm an avid bow hunter, love to hunt. Uh, it's, I, I'm, I get excited about that. I'm into that. Um, I'm going to talk about my personality uh, I'm a, for those of you who know the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 8 with almost no wing. Um, very difficult to live with. On the, on the disc profile, I'm a super high D, kind of an I. I have no S or C. Um, those are, that's part of who I am. It's how God wired me. Um, for my career, I'm in oil and gas. I've talked about that before. Uh, my father was here last night. He's a driller. I'm a driller. No coincidence there. I grew up just a few miles from the 1901 Spindletop well was that real famous gusher well that you, you see paintings of that kind of launched the oil and gas industry. So I kind of based it in that environment growing up. Um, and I'm a driller. I've done it all over the world. I love what I do. I'm skilled at it. I, I know uh, I bring a lot to the table to that, to that arena. My sister, Rochelle, um, she passed away about uh, eight years ago. Um, she lived 26 years as a six-month-old kind of capability. Um, I speak that language. I, I know what it's like to care for somebody with special needs. Um, 
I love the, anything that we're talking about, frontier just excites me. It's probably why I read Texas history books about uh, early on. I, I love the frontier. Um, when you see it, if you get to know me, um, you'll see it in who I am in almost every arena of my life, right? Like I can't be uh, content to live in a suburb like a normal person. I've got to live uh, out, <laughs> out Wolfensburger, down, about three miles down a dirt road. I've, I've got to be in unconsolidated Douglas County. Um, when, we, when we go hunt, I actually went home and grabbed two horses from my folks' ranch to bring them here because when we go hunting, uh, I don't want to be on foot like all the other rascals. I've got to get on horseback because I want to go further, right? Like there's, there's something in me that wants to be on the fringe. Um, when I, when I, even when I was talking earlier, like it, what really excites me about ministry in the church is not what happens within the four walls, but it's what happens outside the four walls. That's where my heart is. So it's an exciting thing. It's part of who I am. A uh, foreigner, I've lived overseas a couple times. I've, I've worked overseas. I understand that. I speak that language. I get it. Um, when people, if any of you have lived overseas, which I know some of you have, uh, when you come home and your heart's broken and you're trying to share your thoughts about, and they're like, oh, aren't you glad to be home? And you're like, no, I'm dying inside. I want to be back over there. I, I speak that language. I, I understand what you're going through because we've shed those tears too. Um, I'm comfortable being a foreigner in a foreign land. And so when you put all of that in a blender, you get an idea of how the Lord's wired me. And what, what, what gets my blood boiling um, whenever people stand up here or uh, somebody comes and prays over you or the Holy Spirit, I'm walking around um, and the Holy Spirit stirs in my heart to, uh, to, to say yes to him in some way, if it falls in line with any aspect of that that you see up there on that screen, it's an easy yes for me. It's an exciting yes for me. And for you guys, uh, I encourage you in a couple weeks, we're going to have our house church. And we're going to have our house church weekend. We're going to shut the doors here. So I encourage you, QR code, go shinechurch.life forward slash house church. Sign up for a house church if you're, if you're not in one. Because in a couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to visit this in the intimacy of somebody's living room. We're going we're gonna, to, with trusted friends, we're going to talk about uh, how we think the Lord has wired us and how he's designed us in a specific and a particular way that will oftentimes line up perfectly with that little nudge he's given you. Like, hey, go talk to that person. Hey, go share your faith. Hey, go do, go do this, go do that. It's gonna fall in line with who you are. Um, here's, here's my concern, is so many times in a church, and I know this from personal experience, when the Lord prompts us to obey him in some way, we immediately get this thought that we, to say yes to God, we have to become somebody who we're not. And that is not the picture that we see over and over and over again in the Bible, right? He talks to the shepherds saying, David, go shepherd my people. Uh, Keith, you mentioned, he talks to the fishermen. And what does he say to them? I'm going to make you fishers of men. He's, he speaks their language. He talks to their identity. He draws it out. And so he does the same thing for us. And we're invited to participate with him in that way. All right. That's enough of a review. We've got two new concepts for you today um, that I think are going to be really cool puzzle pieces when we lay them on top of each other. So uh, the next thing I want to talk about is peoples. Okay, so uh, DJ mentioned in a sermon last year, he kind of walked us through this idea of peoples and people groups. When, when I say the phrase people groups, because it's a very narrow kind of... Um, uh, group within the Christian circle that's kind of missions focused that, that could 
write books on people groups. When, when I say people group, does anybody recognize what I'm talking about? You think about that? Okay. So in the Bible, in so many translations, in the New Testament, when you read the word nations, the Greek root word is ethne, which means, which is better translated peoples. Think, think tribes. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to go to a few texts here. Uh, and my, my computer's not fired up. So I think it's, we're going to start with Matthew 28. And we're going to read that. This is the Great Commission. This is uh, Jesus's last words, so to speak, to his disciples. So you can imagine the weight that it carries here. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That word nations literally means peoples, not geopolitical nations, but people groups, tribes, um, of baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. We did that last week. Uh, we'll continue to do that. Teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, by the way, I'm with you always, no matter where you go to the end of the age. Okay. Next verse, Matthew 24, 14, said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all peoples. As a testimony to all peoples. And then the end will come. This is why the idea of peoples is so critical. It, it represents, first and foremost, when Jesus says, and then the end will come, this is him prophesying of himself when he will come, now not as a baby in a manger in this kind of meek um, a man walking around in one little part, but this is when he shows up in glory, the second coming of Jesus, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord whether they, they do it by force or whether they, they just fall on their face, face in gratitude and just make that proclamation. But he's coming back again. And Jesus literally says, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna be patient until every people's hears, at least has a chance to hear uh, the, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, the good news, okay? So that's pretty important, right? So if you're a missions organization, you're going to... Um, define people groups, you're going to measure people groups, you're going to uh, track progress year over year, and you're going to get, you know, the bean counters of the, of the kingdom are going to get really excited about measuring this, right? And so there's a group called Joshua Project. We've got another slide here. Uh, in the upper left, you're going to see the word ethne in Greek. That's what it looks like. And this group, joshuaproject.net, these are the accountants of the kingdom. This is what they do. They, they measure peoples and they track them. And they say a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread without encountering any sort of like social boundary, right? A, a, bar a barrier of understanding or acceptance. Um, it's, it's this idea. Uh, and I used this example last night, so I'll use it again. Um, if, if you think uh, that the Lord is going to uh, rise up, he's going to stir the heart of somebody in his kingdom uh, in Spain... Uh, to go in and bring the gospel into and convert uh, an auto mechanic. And he's going to disciple that auto mechanic, and that auto mechanic is going to hit all of his auto mechanic buddies, and they're, they're just going to, the, the kingdom is going to progress in that sphere, that people. And I'm using that loosely, okay? If we do that, we can't just automatically assume, or it's probably not a good strategy, God can do anything, but it's probably not a good strategy to think that because of that, the gospel is going to break out on Wall Street. Kind of a big leap. You've got a language barrier, you've got a cultural barrier, you've got a geographical barrier, lots of barriers to the gospel. And so those who focus on worldwide missions 
in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and the kingdom all over the globe, they say, okay, and we, and we read the Bible, and what we see is that the Lord strategically, masterfully, um, plants kingdom men and women who are insiders into all of those different people groups, all those different uh, sectors of society. And don't, I mean, it absolutely happens all over and over again. We're going to read a story next week when Dan preaches, uh, when the gospel leaps a cultural barrier, right? And you see cross-cultural missions where, where he goes from one people group to another. He does that all the time. It's super exciting. The Lord may be calling you to a life like that. Uh, but most of the time, he stirs the heart of somebody that's already within that people who on the right-hand side, well, what makes a people group? You've got a language, the words you speak, the vocabulary that you use, your ethnicity, religion, caste, geography, education, economic status, occupation. Joshua Project would roll their eyes if they heard me saying this, but if we take a loose definition of that and, and we overlay this idea that um, a people group can be anyone who, a good litmus test is this. If you challenge their people group, uh, that, they will, that they will step up and they'll fight you over it. Right? They'll say, no, 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 that, that's my people, and you can't do that to my people. Can y'all think of a group, a social group in our own you know, sector of society and our own point in history that, that would do that? I'm hearing some chuckles. I mean, is that not um, the, the LGBTQ community, right? Like, they, they say, hey... This is us. Like we have a, an identity, we self-identify with this with this group. Um, uh, you better not do battle with us because we're going to do battle with you. Um, they have a vocabulary. They have a look. They have a. Um, I mean, they have so many things on that list that says, "Hey, this is this is my people," right? Uh, you can think like you know, we just watched Jesus Revolution. So think of the hippies. Like, they had a look, they had a talk, they had a, um, they, they had a hierarchy, they, they knew people who, if you're outside the circle, they'd go, who? And they're like, oh my gosh, this guy's great. He's like a hippie prophet. Um, I think, what's that? There you go, Texans. Yeah, we're horrible. Um, uh, ranchers, goth, um, uh, your, your industry. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, so he said in East LA, like gang members, like you've got, you've got a family, you've got a people group, right? You're either in or there's a clear line or you're out, right? So these, I want to encourage you, and again, Joshua Project would not agree with me doing this, but take a loose definition of peoples, okay? And think about um, the fact that God has a heart for peoples, okay? Uh, we, we, um, let's, mm, let's go to Romans 8, Let's go back to this um, from, from last week. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. We talked about the spirit of slavery being similar to the orphan spirit. Um, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And I don't have the rest of the verse, but the rest of the verse says, but if you are children of God, you're, you're heirs of God. You're co-heirs of Christ. So, so if you're an heir, what defines an heir? Well, it's somebody who receives an inheritance. What, what, what is Jesus' inheritance? 
It's, it's the nations. It's people. And then if you go to Psalms 2.8, and I'm sorry I don't have this verse either. The Lord was just stirring in my heart before we spoke. Um, Psalms 2.8 says, God says, ask me. Ask me, and I will give the peoples to you as your inheritance. That's not just, just to Jesus. He's saying that to his people. And so when we think about these people groups, okay, these peoples, think about, God, okay, you told me to ask you, and it's important to you that I feel like I own one of these groups, right? I was talking to my daughter the other day, and she was kind of cracking me up because she was like, oh, that's my Starbucks. I was like, oh, it's yours, all right? And, but we do that all the time, right? Like, you know, we've got a lot of gems in Castle Rock, but this is my gem, right? This is my neighborhood. Well, do we mean literally that we own those things? No, we don't. But we feel like we do because we rhythmically go there when it's part of, part of our circle. So, um, so let's put peoples on a shelf and let me teach you this second concept. Uh, it's this Greek word oikos. And that's how I pronounce it. So if you pronounce it different, you're going to tell me later. Um, oikos. And again, it's translated. It's one of those words that are translated in the scriptures, I think, in a way that hinders our ability to really sink our teeth into it. And how the Bible always translates it, and in every one of these cases, um, oikos is translated as house or household. I don't know about you, but when I think of household, I think of like the six people living under my roof that share my last name. That's not the context in scripture. The context in scripture is that your oikos is uh, your friends and family, okay? So it's like, is it T-Mobile, friends and family plan? It's, it's, uh, it's, your, it's your circles of influence. So every time we read oikos, think circles of influence. Okay, so Mark 5, we just, uh, Janelle talked about it. I didn't plan that with her. That was the Holy Spirit. Uh, the the demon-possessed man that, that Jesus healed, cast the demons out into the pigs. Y'all remember this story? Um, and Jesus turns around, he packs up his stuff, he's leaving, and uh, this guy says, oh no, where are you going? I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. And Jesus said the exact opposite of what we'd all expect him to say, which would be, follow me, come here. Um, he says, no, no, you don't come with me. That's not your role in the kingdom. Go back to your own, your own household, your own people, and tell them the great things that God did for you. Go back to your oikos. You know, if you keep reading Mark, just two chapters later, y'all know what happens? They, they leave, and then Jesus is kind of working his way over the northern Galilee, and he comes back into the other side, the Sea of Galilee, the east side. Um, what happens is he says he's traveling. Y'all, y'all read this in, in chapter seven. He gets there and people are coming out of the hills bringing their sick. There, there, uh, there's so many people there. He gets in the same predicament as he was on the other side where he's like, ah, oh, there's people here and we have no food. And, they, and there he feeds the 5,000 with the seven loaves, I think it is. Instead of five loaves and two fish, you know, he did it with seven loaves this time. Um, uh, there was this huge revival in that part of the world. Why? There was no John the Baptist there. Jesus didn't send a delegation first. It was the demon-possessed man did it. He just went to his oikos and he did exactly what Jesus told him to do with very poor theological training, very few things on his resume, spiritual resume, that said, I'm worthy of this, I'm a prophet. I'm a, you know, he just did what Jesus told him to do in the context that he was. Let that sink in. Uh, John 4, the Samaritan woman, she does the same thing. She returns to her own city. And she's in the city, and, she's, and she literally goes around saying, hey, there's this man out there by the well who's told me everything that I've done. Could he be the Messiah? 
And she stirs up so much interest that they invite Jesus to stay in Samaria for two, year, two days. And the people actually, in verse 42, uh, you know, these super important, uh, you know, Samaritan leaders tell the woman, uh, yeah, 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 we don't need your testimony anymore because we're beholding him ourselves. And we see for our own eyes that he is the Messiah. But she's the one that did it. Jesus didn't come in on a donkey in that town and say, look, behold, the Lamb of God. She did it. Uh, John 4, the centurion, this is after his son was saved. Jesus saved his son. It says his entire oikos was saved. Uh, in Luke 15, you hear the, the two really short parables and one kind of longer, one of the, uh, the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. In every single parable, it concludes. It takes the, the space on the paper to make a point that they gather all their friends and family and they celebrate what God has done. So this is the way the Lord works. He uses people in their oikos. Luke 19, Zacchaeus says, hey, salvation had come to his entire oikos. In Acts chapter 18, Crispus, who was the synagogue leader in Corinth, the the letter Corinthians, um, said him and his entire oikos believed. So here's the thing. You know, we as Americans, we think and we get super excited over the individual. Um, that the Lord wants to save me, uh, and the prize is me. But in, in, in kingdom economy, he's, he's looking at peoples. He's looking at households. He's looking at friends and family. And maybe, just maybe, he saved me because not only that he loved me and he gave his son for me individually and specifically, and the weight of that should crush us at times, but he also saved me strategically. Because his son died, not just for me, but for my people and my oikos. And the Lord redeems you and he does things in you and he wrecks you early in the morning, not just for you, but he wants to transform those around you. So here's, um, I was in Western China, I used to live over there and we're ministering to these um, underground church pastors and we're kind of huddled up in there and everybody's got to turn their phones off and, you know, it was just fun. And... Um, and we're there and we're doing all the same stuff that you do with, with pastors. You know, you go through training. They're all desperate for training on prayer and evangelism and church planning and discipleship and all the normal stuff. But we're doing it through the lens of finishing the Great Commission. And it's like, guys, uh, we're talking, these, these people were ethnically Han. They were the, the Hans people. And, they were, and we were saying, hey, do you realize in the Lijiang Valley here, there's 12 unreached peoples. 12 people that Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, that he's going to wait until the testimony of the gospel reaches them before he comes and puts an end to all this mess. Uh, and their eyes were just like, oh my gosh, we never thought about that. Uh, and actually, it's kind of a problem because one of these is the Uyghurs, they call it the Weiju people, and we hate them for generations. And you get to wreck these people and you see them before God just wrestling. And it's like, then they get God's heart that oh, the Lord loves them. And I've got to get over this petty ethnical division and we got to run after them. And when we do, they're going to go, what in the world are you doing here? Like the Samaritan woman at the well. You're not supposed to be talking to me. I'm a woman. You're a man. You're a Hebrew. I'm a Samaritan. We're supposed to hate each other. Jesus didn't seem to care. All right, so let's do that. Let's think about in your oikos, where are the peoples that God has given you where you are an insider, you speak their language, you understand what their day-to-day is, what their job is, what they're, you know, what they're going through. Um, 
And let's ask the Lord, Lord, do you want me to turn this way today, this way today, this way today? Because everywhere I look, I've got peoples that you've given me, right? So let's, let's do this. Let's, let's go back to that diagram. Uh, and I'm going to keep using me as an example. And so, and, oh, nope, you had it right the first time. So this is me. All right, well, now I'm going to think about all those things that are on the arrows that make me me, that are about my identity. And I'm going to start circling oikos, peoples. All right, well, you know, I'm a bow hunter. There's a pretty avid group of guys and gals in Colorado that bow hunt. And we all have our websites, and we all have our forums, and we all speak a certain language. And I could geek out right here on bow hunting, and you guys would go, I have no idea what you're talking about, and you're really boring me. But there would be a few that would be getting really excited. That's my oikos. Uh, oil and gas. Everybody hates us in Colorado. That's okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, but we're, you know, dirty oil and gas. Um, but I've got a hierarchy. I've got history. I've got people. I've got vocabulary. I've got skills. I've got techniques that none of you have any idea. Uh, but I do. That's my oikos. Um, the special needs thing, the gym. You know, the gym's not part of my identity, but it is part of my oikos because I go there all the time. Um, Castle Mesa is my neighborhood. It's, again, it doesn't define who I am. It's just a house. It's just brick and mortar. Uh, but I tell you what, I'm there. I'm there a lot. I know my neighbors, I get to cross paths with them all the time. That's an oikos. And you, so you can think about this for yourself. And we probably will spend just a minute uh, and, and let you guys think about, pull out your phones, get a piece of paper. Uh, if you haven't done the exercise from last week, let's go ahead and do that. Just think about all these things that make you, you. And then highlight which of these you think is your oikos. Okay, so we'll just take uh, two minutes. Um, and we'll play some music and, and you guys just kind of marinate in this and think about who your people groups are. Not necessarily who you feel called to at this point. You don't even have to like them. But just let's just identify your oikos. All right. Can we, um, let's do some, let's just do some quick shout outs. Um, Dan, yeah, if you want to pass the microphone, great. If, if not, you can just call it out, and then I'll, I'll just repeat it in the microphone. Um, what, are, what are some oikos that you think of? What are some examples of circles of influence uh, where, where you're, you're planted right there? What people? Okay, dog people. No comment, but it's a thing in Colorado. Um, okay, dog people. That's, that's wonderful, actually. Yep. Gamers, Ooh, that's such a good one. Yeah, Comic-Con guys and gals. Uh, who else? Crafters. Crafters, okay. Caregiver, yep, caregiver, helpers. Yeah, planting, those with the green thumb, agricultural folks. Um, what was it? Oh, ath ath yeah, athle um, athletics. Yeah, hockey. Huge one. I think of the Shirley's here in our church. So we're here last night. Huge hockey family, wrestling, other things. Okay, these are these are great examples. Yeah, do you have one? Okay, music. Yeah, like if you're part of the crowd that's just got to go out and see that cover band that hits Wide Open Saloon or wherever. Um, yeah, that's a that's a circle, for sure. Those are those are people. Uh, yeah, the obvious one. How about church people, right? Like religious people. That's good. 
Okay, so um, here's the exciting thing. Let's, let's show, so picture this in your mind. This little stick person is you. You've got all the stuff that makes up who you are. You've got the circles. You're right in the middle. Um, let's read Acts 17, verse 26 to 27, as we kind of come in here. Uh, I love this text. This is Paul. He's in Greece. This is the Sermon on Mars Hill, if you've heard of it. Very famous sermon that Paul gave. And he's, uh, he's just delivering the gospel. He's like uh, trying to teach these Greek people who don't know who God is, who God is. And this is how he explains them. He says, from one man, he made all the peoples. Okay, we know that. Uh, he makes all the peoples that they should inhabit the entire earth. Uh, and God, he marked out their appointed times in history. That's interesting. And the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. So uh, in my own words, uh, he did this strategically uh, so that people would, would find him. And by the way, it's not hard to find him. He makes himself pretty easy to find. Uh, for in him, we live and move and have our being. This is this real poetic way of saying, in him, we have our identity and we just walk out who we are. But we're walking out who we are at a strategic, specific, kairos moment time in history in a very specific, strategic, on-purpose place. And I love this. This, this. I feel like these groups of verses have it all. If we were to click on some sort of Google tracker on you, on your phone, and we were to track you for six months, right? Chances are you would have a really hot spot on the map where you're going, you know, your daily commute, right? That's what I think of when I think boundary, my version says boundaries of your inhabitation. You know, this is just where your, your worn paths are in life, right? And so do y'all, are you starting to sense this, get this, catch this vision? Let me tell you a quick story uh, in conclusion, and then we'll see a quick clip. Uh, I'm offshore, uh, Lauren and I have just got married. Um, I'm, I'm dirty oil and gas, so I'm offshore drilling wells. And uh, I'm on this uh, big semi-submersible that's floating out in 8,000 feet of water. Uh, and I'm surrounded by my people, people just like me. And, uh, and so I, I encounter this guy, and he's, his life's a wreck. And he's got issues with his uh, marriage and kids. And uh, he's been in and out, you know, hadn't lived the greatest life. And uh, so share Christ with him. He comes to Christ, okay? Um, but he's like, I'm not a good person. I'm not, I don't know the Bible like you know, and you, know, you, you have that whole conversation. And it's like, man, um, do you want to open the text? I've been offshore for weeks. Again, newly married. Um, it was tough, but I'm, I'm there, and I'm starting to sense what, why the Lord has me there. It wasn't, could it be not to just drill the well? Could he have had an ulterior motive for me being there and crossing path with this guy? So it's like, okay, well, let's, uh, I'll tell you what, let's once a week, let's, let's do church out here on the rig. Well, what do you mean? Well, let's, I don't know. Let's meet in the galley. So we met in the galley on Sundays after tower change, so about 7 p.m. in the evening. Uh, let everybody come in and eat, and then we sat in a corner. Uh, and, and then he was like, hey, uh, well, I've got a couple friends that want to participate in this. Can they, yeah, hey. It's church in the galley. It's what, you know, God's people gather. So we're there and we open his word uh, and there's F-bombs dropped and there's, you know, it wasn't, you know, your normal typical church service. But we got in the text and we're, and we're, and, and these guys are hungry and they're seeking. Now, let me ask you this. What would have happened if I sat there uh, and I heard his story and how much pain he was in and all the strife he was going through in life? 
Uh, and instead of Jesus, like at the, at the well, saying, hey, I'm, I'm the source of living water that could uh, solve all your problems, uh, I just kept it to myself, and I thought, man, shoot. If that guy was in Castle Rock, he would be awesome to invite to shine. Or maybe, or maybe even I thought it. Like, gosh, I'm just not the guy, but man, DJ Smith, if he was here, he would know what to say. <sighs> and you just feel the Holy Spirit going, look at how I wired you. Look where you were born. Look at the family I put you in. Look at the path I had you go through. Look at that thing that was really difficult, that challenge, that thing you survived. I did all that on purpose and I even redeemed the mess so that you would be perfectly designed and equipped right here, right now for such a time as this to bring that guy into the kingdom, him and all his friends. Oh, you see how exciting this is? Now, no longer is it not like, what do I do for the kingdom? What do I strive to like get done, that orphan spirit? But what do I receive? Lord, you did this. You designed me and wired me this way. How do I walk in this? Later on, I was in Algeria, and I'm in the middle of the Saharan desert, huge sand dunes everywhere. Uh, I'm in what I call prison. It's this, it's this compound uh, for this, this oil company because, uh, you know, the outsiders aren't super friendly to Americans. And um, uh, we're there, razor wire everywhere, and there's a, a handful of Westerners, but there's a whole lot of Algerian, Muslim Algerians. Um, and kind of the same story happened. People started gathering and they said, hey, we want to get in the word. And so how do we do this? Well, we had a mosque, but we couldn't go there. Uh, we thought about, well, we can meet in one of our bedrooms. Uh, but then, ooh, we, we, we have this woman over here that wants to come and we can't do the co-ed thing in a Muslim country and somebody's bedroom of all the, you know, the Christians doing their thing. So um, we can't do that. So what do we do? Oh, we have a bar. <laughs> so we met at the bar and we had church in the bar. Uh, but again, it was, uh, we spoke each other's language. We were, we were in the same tribe. We were of, there wasn't an outsider coming in. Every missions organization will tell you the biggest hurdle they have is the white guy that's coming in and trying to work with this, uh, you know, Korean group that they don't speak the same language, they don't look the same, they don't have the same heart, they don't have the same history, and you've got this huge hurdle to overcome. So every missions organization out there has changed their strategy to how do we find that person of peace? How do we find that one guy or gal who the Lord has just anointed? Let's pour our love and dedication and training into that person and then it have a native face from then on to reach his own people or her own people. This is the strategy. This is why God has put you where he's put you. They're your people. And so we're just going to ask the Lord this morning. Lord, uh, Psalms 2.8, ask of me and I will give the peoples to you as your inheritance. Lord, what people do you want me to inherit into the kingdom of God? And like Captain McNelly, maybe you may even come to a point where it's like enough is enough. Today, the kingdom needs to advance. And it's got to advance in that house right there. And so we pray into that. We lean into that. Okay, church? What do we do? All right. So a couple of weeks ago, we had a watch party, and we watched this documentary called Free Burma Rangers, and, uh, and it wrecked a lot of us. I'm going to show a one-minute clip uh, about this um, because there's a way to do this that, that uh, kills you inside. <laughs> Have any of y'all done for the Lord, and you, and you launch in this ministry that the Lord's not calling you into, and it's just... It just kills you. <laughs> and then there's that, that lane uh, that, where it's your swim lane. It's, it's, your, uh, it's, it's what God laid before you, and it is so fun, and it's life-giving. And it may cost you something, but the net gain far outweighs the cost. And he says, go. And the Holy Spirit's talking to us and saying, go. 
And so let's watch this real quick clip and I'll close in prayer. Well, you have one life and you might as well go for it because what are you going to hold on to? You're going to lose your life one day anyway. So saying yes is, God, all the good things you have for us, I want them. And anything useful to do that I can do, I would like to do it. So I'll say yes. And I want to say no to the swamp of sin on one side that gets me bogged down and no to the swamp of good things to do, Christian things to do that God didn't ask me to do that also will bog me down. And I want to say yes to that line that God has, which I believe has no caution lights. It's green. Go, man. As fast as you want to go, how much faith do you have? Go. That's what I want to do. How much faith do you have? Go. Lord God, this is, this is my prayer. Um, and I think of earlier, just like Lorraine um, shared her faith with her daughter uh, who, was, who had thyroid cancer. Right? That's what sharing your faith means. She went to her daughter and says, I believe that God wants to heal you. And you did. So Lord, I want to share my faith right now. I believe with every fiber of my being that you have created us, that you've designed us to be who we are, where we are right now at this time in history, and none of it's a mistake. And God, I have such a fervor that we would not be a people who, who fill a seat in a pew for decades and never have our eyes open to the people that you're calling us to all around us. So Holy Spirit, as we seek to know your voice, as we talk, as we have a couple weeks ago, uh, and we continue to talk, how do, we, how do we walk into a place and receive who you are? When we walk into our Starbucks, our gym, our workplace, just stir our hearts to say, God, give us eyes to see. Let us see the hurting. Let us see the need. Let us see the darkness because we're bringing the light and we walk with a swagger and a confidence because we know who we are. Lord Jesus, do this work. I pray that you would just wreck Douglas County because of your people, your kingdom people that are spread over every sector of society that you have strategically placed us there on purpose, for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Guys, that's it for this morning. We're gonna, um, uh, we are gonna have prayer over here. Uh, I'll be over here if you guys wanna be prayed for on any of these, but I ask that you just allow this to kind of Stir in your hearts. In two weeks, we're going to have our house churches, and we're going to we're going to dive into this, and we're going to talk about this in an unhurried fashion. Uh, more there, but uh, love you guys. Y'all have a great rest of your weekend, and we will see y'all next week.